then everyone else, you can go ahead and uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 19 through 31 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, in front of you in the chair there, and it's on page 1113 of the Bible there. So today I ask you, what, what have you placed your hope for the future in? For your, your children to get a great job and support you in your old age? That's what my mom has placed her hope for the future in. She keeps telling me that that's her retirement plan for, for me to become independently wealthy and support her in the lifestyle that which, from which she wishes to grow accustomed to. So, um, and she's going to be a little disappointed. <laughs> uh, or what, what about the, the next generation to, to innovate and to, to discover cures for diseases or the stock market to grow your savings account or Social Security to be that safety net to, to make up for your mistakes in, in, in planning and saving for the future or how about for the government, or the new, the next election, or the new Speaker of the House, or what about the President, or maybe the next President? Obviously, we all place our hope for the future uh, on something. But as we talked about last week, the future is far beyond this life. The future we should be most looking towards is eternity. Eternity is coming for all of us one day. Um, and that is the most in, important question that we must ask is what are we placing our hope for eternity in well the answer to that question is at the heart of today's parable the rich man and lazarus the the beggar from luke chapter 16 so a little bit of background on this parable um jesus had been had been speaking to the crowds and among them are the pharisees these self-righteous religious leaders that were suspicious of Jesus, always looking for a way to kind of trip him up. Um, they were not at all pleased with what they had seen or what they had heard from Jesus so far. And they, they grumbled against Jesus because he, he, he received sinners and he, he was eating with them. So in response to their grumbling, Jesus told three parables right in a row, and all of them dealt with, with finding something that was lost. Um, Jesus used those to expose the, the arrogance and the hypocrisy of their hearts. Now, while the Pharisees could identify with rejoicing with someone who, who found something material, like, like a sheep or a lost coin, they, they couldn't really um, rejoice in the return of an undeserving, repentant sinner like the prodigal son. Even though all of heaven did, they, he showed them to be that resentful, older brother in that story this is because they hated grace they didn't believe they needed grace and they didn't appreciate being shown that anyone else would get it especially the undeserving which which by definition grace is only given to the undeserving because grace is favor that is undeserved but their grumbling eventually turned to outright scoffing after the next parable. The, the, Jesus told the parable of the shrewd manager. We, we covered that last week. In this parable, Jesus was, was ramping up his, his pointed lessons directed right at them. I mean, he, Jesus is all but pointing 
right in their faces as he's telling these parables, and they just continue to, to get more and more pointed. The point of the, that parable was that we are all managers of God's resources. And he has entrusted us to use them for his purposes and, and not our own, to draw others to him, to build his eternal kingdom and, and not our temporary ones. Of course, this was a direct rebuke to the Pharisees. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things and they ridiculed him. I mean, he is right in their faces with this now. Of course, Pharisees loved money. They were motivated by money. The Pharisees, as God's representatives, had been dishonest managers. They had used their positions to amass wealth and influence. They'd use God's resources not as a means to help others, but to help themselves. They were more interested in building their kingdom than God's. And they added these endless man-made rules and rituals to, to be a burden to the people. And they showed off their religiosity to everyone to make themselves look good, to look holy and, and righteous and pious. Long-winded prayers and being overly dramatic as they would fast and, and, and make a big scene about it in the streets, making sure that everyone saw them when they put money in the offering basket. Everybody looking so I could see how much I'm putting in there. Wearing their ceremonial robes everywhere they went. Whatever they did, they made sure that people noticed. Instead of helping to lift others up, they used their position to, to push them down. Jesus responds in verse 15 saying, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus says, you think you've got it all figured out. You think you've got the world by the tail. You think you've got everyone fooled. God isn't fooled one bit. You think you are the ones to judge. You are so wrong. What you think will save you is evidence. It's proof. It's only proof that you aren't saved at all. Jesus exposed the root of the problem. The Pharisees sought approval from the wrong person and, and the wrong basis. And then Jesus tells a, a parable to, to reinforce that stark statement. And here Jesus vividly portrays the value of money in the light of future judgment and the danger of, of looking to the wrong judge and using the wrong standard. So let's read Jesus' words in the parable of the rich man and, and Lazarus, the beggar. Luke chapter 16 and 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with, all, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, Hades be, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. 
that Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. He said, Then I, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to, to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now let's look at some contrast here before we look at the lessons. So the contrast between the rich man and the beggar. First is the contrast in life. This anonymous rich man lived out the lifestyle afforded to the wealthy. He had expensive clothes. He ate fine food. He lived in daily luxury. If, if one word could describe him, we could say he, was, he lived a fly, flamboyant lifestyle. He was definitely among the rich and famous, and, and surely others admired him and envied the life that he lived. I mean, who wouldn't, right? But in contrast, there's, there's a poor, sick, and, and possibly crippled beggar named Lazarus. He laid at the rich man's door, longing for the scraps that fell from his table. Leftovers were all that this man wanted. The only attention he ever got was from the dogs. The rich man could have easily helped Lazarus just by, by sending a servant out with some leftovers. But he ignored him. He was oblivious to this man's plight. He chose to spend his money on himself. He refused to share with, with anyone, especially the one that was in need right in front of him. And that's, there's a little side lesson here in the names that are given. The rich man, he, he is anonymous. He's not named. Jesus does that deliberately so that you and I could, could easily place ourselves there. You and I could easily be this rich man. But Lazarus, of all of the parables Jesus tells, this is the only one where he names a person. He names this, this person because he's a real person. Jesus wants to make the point, this is a real person. Those in need around you are real people. They have names. They're not just the homeless. They're not just a beggar. They're not just the sick and the poor. These are real people with real names. And Jesus wants to make a point that we recognize. These are not just people to just walk past. These are real people. Now, the rich man obviously had no concept of stewardship. Or he would have. He would have recognized the need that was right on his own doorstep. This man that he probably knew by name. His wealth was not sinful, but his, his selfishness was. While life was comfortable for him and, and he felt secure, Lazarus lay hungry 
even the dogs licking his sores. But all of that would change in a moment. It's the contrast in death. In time, both the rich man and and Lazarus died. Because here's the thing. Death doesn't care about wealth or social status. It's said that death is the great leveler. Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. See, it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, one day will be your last day on earth. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. One day will be your last day on earth. Every one of us will die. The rich man died in spite of his wealth. He was buried. No doubt he had an expensive funeral with, with all the pageantry that you would expect of a rich man. I'm sure it was, it was an elaborate affair. But when Lazarus died, he was just simply carried to Abraham's side, it says. What a difference. Now, the beggar's body may not have even had a decent burial. I mean, certainly not a traditional Jewish one with, with paid mourners, costly spices and an expensive tomb and all of those kind of things. All the neighbors were probably just relieved when Lazarus died. Whew, man, I'm glad that that guy is finally not laying on our doorstep anymore. Then the contrast in eternity. The real contrast comes after they both step through death's door. Each man's destination provided evidence of the most important contrast. One man was headed for heaven, and the other one was headed for hell. The rich man ended up in, in Hades and in torments. I'm not going to get into to all the discussion about Hades and Sheol and all of that today. Um, it's another day and another lesson not important to the main lesson today. Hades is the Greek word for the place of, uh, for, uh, of, of the wicked dead before judgment. Not exactly hell, but kind of like the, the holding place before hell until they go there. Revelation uh, 20, 13 says that at judgment, death and Hades will give up their dead. So it's kind of like the holding place before the final judgment. That's where the unrighteous will go. And the rich man finds himself there in torment. And that torment includes the flames of the everlasting fire that is to come for him. And added to this torment was his ability to see paradise, even if, if just from a distance. And there he saw Abraham with Lazarus by his side, living in peace and luxury. That's a, a way, uh, uh, that's a way of describing a place of honor at, at, at Abraham's side. It's a, it a way of describing a place of honor. Reclining next to Abraham at the great banquet, the great heavenly banquet. This is where Lazarus was carried for his eternity. The role reversal is obvious. Lazarus one, once lay in pain outside the door of the rich man, watching him feast. But now, the rich man was in torment, watching the joy of heaven from afar. Now, all of this 
would have been scandalous to the ears of the Pharisees listening to Jesus. I mean, the idea that that a, a wealthy, respectable man would go to hell while the poor, a sick beggar, went to heaven was, was preposterous to a Pharisee. I mean, that was preposterous. For them, money and success was one of the external proofs of piety. I mean, after all, hadn't God promised to prosper his people if they kept his law? Deuteronomy 28, um, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and and overtake you if if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your castle, and the increase of your herds, and the, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And, you shall be af- and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. And the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hands, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to do the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods or to serve them, I mean, blessing, 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 blessing poured out on the Jews and the nation of Israel. These are the Pharisees. These these are the experts in the law. So surely, surely blessing is being poured out on them. That's proof. That's that's evidence. You would abound in prosperity. But they, they forgot about verse 15. He would bring them great poverty and adversity if they disobeyed. Verse 15, but if you don't, all of these curses will come upon you. That was the idea in the Jewish mind back then. Blessings were evidence of God's favor on you, that you were good, you were a good person, and God would pour his blessing out on you. But... If you were a bad person, God would curse you. I mean, remember, remember Job. Remember how his friends kept accusing him. Come on, Job, what did you do? Surely there's something that you have done, Job. God wouldn't just do this to you. Something. What did you do? It's your fault, Job. See, for them, being successful was evidence that you were a good person. To be poor and sick meant that you were a sinner being punished. For the rich man to end up in hell and the beggar in heaven was completely upside down. 
should have been concerning to them then. Should have caused them to, to perk up their ears and snap their heads back. Pay attention to what he was saying. It should be a bit concerning to us today. Because unfortunately that attitude still exists today. There are those who still believe that in one degree or another, they believe that attitude. Oh, oh look at so and so. Look how God has blessed them. They must be living right. Oh, man, look at them. Look how they struggle. wonder what's going on there. And then there's the whole, ask anything. My name. Name it and claim it. They must not have enough faith. That's why they don't have. They, don't, they just don't have enough faith. The whole prosperity gospel. But all of that, all of that is still part of the same pious, hypocritical heart of the Pharisees. And that's one of the first lessons of the parable. Men and money can't save you. It's the wrong judge. It's the wrong standard. Men and money are not the judge or the standard. Like this rich man who thought that he had, he had all he wanted, all he needed. In the end, it couldn't save him. It couldn't do one thing to save him. It didn't matter what, what men's thoughts were, what men's opinions were. None of that was worth anything at the end of his life. Men and money can't save you. That is not what the Christian faith is rooted in. So what should our faith be rooted in? Well, in this, this parable, when I, when I was reading this parable and preparing, I immediately saw the five solas of the Christian faith when I read this parable. That's just what kind of instantly jumped out to me. The five solas of the Christian faith. Well, you say, well, what are the five solas of the Christian faith? Well, sola... Sola comes from a word, we, we get our word solo, which means alone. So, sola fide. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola dia gloria, for God's glory alone. And solas Christus, Christ alone. That is the basis of our Christian faith. There's five solas. That is the only way to salvation. Now, I know you, you look at that and you go, well, there's five, and you say alone, but it, each of those are part of the same thing. So what are those? Sola fide. Faith alone, salvation is available only by faith. Your money won't save you. Actually, actually, money usually becomes a hindrance to people's salvation. Jesus himself says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for, than for a rich man to enter into heaven. See, the Pharisees trusted in their wealth as evidence of God's favor on them. It was proof. They were good. Proof that they deserved to go to heaven. They would be rewarded one day. 
But all of your pious works won't save you. The praying, the fasting, the tithing, none of that will save you. Those are important things for you to do out of obedience and reverence to your God. But none of those things will save you. Your grandma or your mama's prayers won't save you. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. By faith, we believe that He is able to do what He promises. We are justified by faith without the works of the law. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Like the empty hand of a beggar, faith reaches out to receive Christ. The rich man had put his faith in the things of the world. He lived for the pleasures of the world and and gave no thought for eternity. He thought that he had done enough. His works were enough. He had put his hope for eternity in the wrong thing. We are saved by sola fide, by faith alone. The sola gratia, by grace alone. The, the Pharisees would have been beside themselves to think that the poor beggar could go to heaven while this respectable rich man went to hell. See, they didn't understand that salvation is by sola gratia, by grace alone. Salvation is, is a completely undeserved gift from God. Grace, receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy, mercy, not receiving what you do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Righteous living won't earn you eternity in heaven. Lazarus didn't deserve salvation because of his sufferings on earth either. It was only by God's loving grace that he extends the offer of salvation to anyone. Everything we receive from God is is by grace. From our our daily bread to to our, our resurrected bodies one day. All by God's grace. Not only does he offer salvation by his free grace, we are are able to live in that grace every day too. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now grace is not just some sentimental idea that that leads us to ignore our our sins because, because God is gracious doesn't mean that we stop caring on how we live. Titus 2 Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us through, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 
We should live in his grace while he makes us more like Jesus. But we should never abuse that grace. Romans 6, 1 through 12, Paul asks, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? By no means. How can, one, how can we who die to sin, to sin still live in it? By grace, God extended the offer of salvation. We live in the grace of God every day as He transforms us more and more more like His Son. We are not to abuse that grace either. Don't abuse it. But accept the gracious gift of salvation. No one deserves it. Sola gratia. It's by grace alone that you are saved. And then sola scriptura. Scripture alone. The rich man called out to Abraham and, and asked him to send Lazarus back to his five brothers to warn them so that they didn't end up where he was. See, this is, this is evidence that hell is not some e eternal uh, New Year's Eve party where sinners have a good time and, and, and do the things that they did on earth. It's not a great big party where you go to hang out with your friends. It's not a good place to be. It's a place of eternal torment, punishment. And the rich man doesn't want his family to end up there where he is. So he says, send Lazarus back to warn them. But Abraham tells him, no. No. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man knows better. No, they won't. They won't. But, but if someone comes back from the dead, they will. Well, a different man named Lazarus did come back from the dead once. Some of the people wanted to kill him. Truth is, those who say they need to see a miracle to believe are only fooling themselves. They're only fooling themselves. They still won't believe. Jesus rose from the dead, and the Pharisees still didn't believe. They still refused to believe. Abraham said the rich man's brothers wouldn't be convinced. They need to hear the word of God and respond to it by faith. No smoke and mirrors. That is the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture teaches us everything we need to know to come to faith in Christ. Everything we need to know to come to faith in Christ is found right here. Everything we need to know to become new creation so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work found in God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.15. 2 Timothy 3.15-17. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God 
and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture alone is, the, is authoritative for, for faith and practice of the Christian. This is where we get everything from. It is the ultimate and the only infallible authority for the Christian faith. Traditions are, are only valid when they conform with Scripture. We have a lot of traditions in the Christian faith. A lot of denominations have, have different traditions. They're only valid if they conform to Scripture. And traditions that contradict the Bible are not of God and need to be rejected. Now, this doesn't mean that there are not other ways that God leads us. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer, and he does indeed guide us. But he does that by illuminating the Scriptures so that we understand them. The earthly man doesn't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is why the Holy Spirit is called the Helper. He indwells us and he enables us to understand the truth of Scripture. He doesn't give us visions, new revelations. He helps us to understand the revelation we have been given. The Holy Spirit's direction never contradicts the Scriptures that we have. If you want to know who God the Father is, read the Bible. If you want to know who Jesus the Son is, read the Bible. If you want to know who the Holy Spirit is, read the Bible. If you want to know what you must do to be saved, read the Bible. Don't wait for a miracle. The miracle will be the change in your heart as you read God's Word and you discover Jesus and you accept Him by faith. That will be the miracle. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, the heart and marrow, discerning the thoughts, the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is living and active. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So even if someone comes, from, comes back from the dead, they won't believe. The Word of God is powerful. And soli dia gloria. Glory to God alone. The Pharisees were self-righteous and believed their religiosity put them above everyone else. They were always looking to elevate themselves in the eyes of the others. They sought man's approval and man's praise. They believed they deserved God's too. They believed their legalism, legalism was what gave them a place of honor, would entitle them to a heavenly reward. The salvation is not earned. It's by faith alone, by grace alone. It's, it's not something that you can do. We can only accept it. Only through God's grace and sending Jesus to, to atone for our sins on the cross. 
Not because we deserved it, but because God was, was gracious and merciful. Only if salvation is by grace alone will God alone receive all the glory. If there's something of our own that we can claim, then, then, then we can no longer boast in Christ alone. But if He is the author and the finisher of our faith, then He alone is to be magnified for His sovereign grace. There is no room for, for the glory of man in God's plan of salvation. The glory is God's alone. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If it were possible to earn salvation through the works of the law, then we would have something to boast about. But it is impossible. We cannot save ourselves. We were dead in our sins, and we couldn't do anything to help ourselves. Ephesians 2.1 tells us. Praise the Lord, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? The glory is God, not ours. Sola dia gloria. For God's glory alone. And the solus Christus. Christ alone. Christ, Christ is the main point of the Bible. The whole Bible testifies to him. Jesus confronted the Pharisees' blindness to this important truth. and In spite of being experts in the law, they, they had completely missed him in it. John 5.39, he says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. You search the Scriptures because you think that's where you, you will find eternal life which is true, but those scriptures testify to me. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone can save people from their sins. Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What does that mean? Simply, there is no one else that can save us. Only Jesus saves. John 3, 16 through 17 tells us the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus alone is the King of kings. He alone is our high priest. He alone is our redeemer. And he is a sole mediator between God and man. It's not our righteousness that saves us. It is Christ alone. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. From the beginning to the end, the gospel uplifts Christ and Christ alone. He is the one who came from heaven to seek the lost, Luke 19.10. He is the one who obeyed the law perfectly. He is the one who was crucified. He is the one who, was, who rose again. We are the grateful recipients of his bounty. We are the beggars. He is the benefactor. We are the lepers. He is the healer. We are the turmoil. He is the peace. Solus Christus. 
The gospel is not a message of what we must do for God. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us. Salvation is not really about us. It's about Jesus. Solus Christus. Christ alone. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can for my sin atone? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As Christians, these solas should cultivate an attitude of, of total humility before God. For those who have, haven't accepted this gracious gift, you better do it while you still can. You better do it while you still can. Because there are no second chances. Back in the parable, the rich man finally realized how, how wrong he had been. He, he begged Abraham to have, have Lazarus come and help him. Just have him dip his finger and help me. At least go back and, and warn his family so that they, they didn't end up there with him. But it was too late. It's too late. Abraham said, there's a great chasm. No one can go from here to there or from, from there to here. You can't go back and warn your loved ones. It's too late. Once you die, that's it. There is no going back. There are no second chances. There are no do-overs. You only have one life to live and to prepare for eternity. And that's it. So you had better get it right. You had better get it right before it's too late. God had spoken to the rich man in, in many ways through his life. He has shown him many blessings. God says he pours out blessings on the just and the unjust. So that they would seek, where are these blessings coming from? Nature speaks of God. Even in suffering, even in suffering, it's an opportunity for us to see God. His word. Yet this man ignored it all. He ignored it all. And now it was too late for him. Do not make the same mistake. Accept the free gift of God while you still can. What have you placed your faith in? Faith alone, in grace alone, Scripture alone, Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Put your faith in Jesus today so that one day you can be by Abraham's side at that great banquet, heavenly banquet. And we're having a a fellowship dinner after the service today. It's going to be a good time. There's going to be some great food. Be some good fellowship. I'm looking forward to it. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be good. 
But you really don't want to miss the great feast in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You don't want to miss that one. You can skip today's. Don't miss that one. God is speaking to your heart. Accept the invitation today. Now, if you have already accepted that gift of God, that that gracious gift of God, stand on these five solas. Faith alone. Grace alone. Scripture alone. Glory to God alone. And in Christ alone alone. It's for, through those that we have victory in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father God, we come before you again and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you extended through your gracious mercy the offer of salvation, that we may receive it by faith alone. We don't have to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It's only by faith. Only because you offered it by grace. That we are able to find the truth of who you are, who we are, and, and what we need to do to receive the gift of eternal life through Scripture alone. You have given us everything that we need. You have given us Christ, and it's only through His shed blood that we may have victory for eternity. It's only through Him that we will be able to sit at the great marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven one day. And it is all only for your glory alone. I pray that you would help us to live in the reality of those truths each and every day. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.